the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by the Federation for American Immigration Reform and George Rodriguez on 930 AM, The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, welcome to the show. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. How is everybody today? Welcome to the show, my friends. We've got a packed one as usually as usual for you. Let me tell you, uh, so much has been happening this past week. The uh, shootings, the kidnappings on the border, my friends. People still being, uh, I, I'm naive. I mean, I don't want to say dumb. That's really a sad thing to say, but... The, the fact of the matter is that people are still very, very naive. Going across the border, my friends, is dangerous. Mexico is a failed state. There's no two ways to say it. And if you go across the border, my friends, you are in peril. And people coming across the border, unvetted, is perilous for us. It is. We don't know if they're criminals, terrorists, or they're carrying diseases. But that's the fact. So... Uh, let me tell you real quick who our guests are so that we can get into our show. We have, first off, we've got Jason Jones, uh, who is a reporter and a former uh, Department of Public Safety, Texas Department of uh, Public Safety official. Uh, he's going to be telling us about the crime on the border. He's going to be telling us about these, these recent incidents. You're going to want to hear what he's got to say. Second, we've got uh, Ron Kovach who is the press secretary for FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform in Washington, D.C. He's going to be telling us what they are doing in Washington to address this issue or what they are not doing in Washington to address this issue that we've got. Uh, he is followed by Wade Miller, who is the executive director of Renew America. Uh, you're going to want to hear what he's got to say. And then our final guest is Kyle Biederman, who is a former state representative for District 73 here in uh, the state of Texas. He's going to be talking about what is happening in Austin, uh, what they're doing to address our problem. So, my friends, once again, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Call your friends. Tell them to join us. Support our program. Let's go to our first guest, Mr. Jason Jones. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got our good friend, Mr. Jason Jones, on the phone, my friends, because I, uh, I mean, we have had a really, really uh, hero horrific situation on the border this past few days with uh, people getting shot, uh, take, being kept, being taken, uh, kidnapped. Uh, and uh, on top of that, uh, a, a running gun battle in Matamoros. Now, Jason, of course, as everybody knows from uh, previous interviews that we've done with him, is a, uh, a crime expert. He's been with the state police, and now he's an uh, independent reporter with, uh, with Newsmax. And uh, his specialty is the crime on the border. And he's been talking. Oh, gosh, Jason, we've had you almost two years now on our program <laughs> when you've been talking about this. What is your opinion of this situation that we've got? Particularly when you hear Merrick Garland, our Attorney General, Biden's Attorney General, and uh, Jean-Pierre uh, making the comments at the uh, at at the press briefings that they are doing everything to uh, address the issue of crime on the border, the cartels, et cetera, et cetera. Welcome to the show. Talk to us. 
George, as always, buddy, it is great to be with you. Thank you for having me. And for the last two years, you have heard me try to warn everyone in the Homeland Security Enterprise publicly. You've, you've had me on your show talking about this for how long, warning that these things were coming. Never mind the overdose deaths, really poisonings from fentanyl as the cartels have weaponized fentanyl against the American people, their own citizens, and people all over the world, trying to get our government and the failed leadership of the FBI, the DEA, HSI, and many of the federal agencies to explain to the American people what's really taking place. And for us to see what has happened is a great example of the level of failure. And I want to just want to be very clear here. When you hear from the Attorney General of the United States who came out yesterday and said that the U.S. government is doing everything they can to disrupt these cartels and to go after their networks. I want to be very clear, somebody that did this, working with U.S. intelligence agencies and building programs, sending intelligence to the Mexican government to rescue migrants and to save lives from these cartel members, you are being lied to. We are not doing close to what we did under the Calderon administration and the Nieto administration. And a great example of that is you may remember all the operations the Mexican Marines were conducting against the Zeta leadership, the Beltran Leyva organization, and the Sinaloa cartel. All of that has come to an almost stop. The only real uh, leader that they've captured in the last two years is Avidio Guzman. And he's someone who's much lower in the rankings of the Chapitos of all the brothers. Yet, you know, when you watch the national media, you would have thought he was the, the capo of the organization or the leader is what I mean when I say that. So I want to be very clear here. You are being lied to as Americans. Don't think for a second that the U.S. government and the Mexican government is doing everything it can because it is not true. You know, it, it is really, really uh, incredible that all of this breaks loose at the same time um, that, uh, you know, we've got such an open border and fentanyl coming through constantly. And, uh, it, you know, the, the hostage-taking uh, in Matamoros, the shooting of American citizens, um, this, uh, you know, I mean, this is, this is an escalation. This is a situation that uh, really, really merits... Uh, the American public knowing a lot more about what is going on at the border. And yet they're still, I mean, I still get notes from people in Wisconsin and in Pennsylvania that tell me, you know, that the, the news media doesn't carry anything about what is happening uh, on the border here. And they really don't understand it. And I can say that as somebody that is a national border correspondent uh, for Newsmax and who sees them on the border all the time. They really don't understand the cartels. They look at them as gangs. They don't understand the level of control. They don't understand the level of corruption and how they've evolved into a true parallel government in Mexico. And the truth is, Americans are being killed in Mexico all the time. This one just happened to hit at the right time where it got national media attention. And because the Ciclones took these folks in a, uh, hostage, but also the incident was caught on video by Mexican citizens who reported it to different blogs and other things that ultimately made its way out to the general public across this country. But look, George, this is happening all the time. This one just happened to be captured on video. Amazing. That is, it is really, really frightening. You know, I, uh, I, I remember when I was little, um, that uh, my parents used to take us across the border uh, to Nuevo Laredo to go eat and whatnot. But I, I, I know, I, I have cousins that live in Laredo that will not go across the border anymore because it's so dangerous. And because they will take you, you know, the, the, the smaller syndicates, the smaller individual gangs will take you hostage. It's not necessarily the big ones, but the little ones because, well, they, that's how they make their money. Crime is an industry. Well, and that's part of, you know, look, this has been going on a long time, too. I mean, uh, think back to David Hartley, um, he and his wife in 2010 who crossed on Falcon Lake. They crossed from the U.S. side into Mexico to take pictures of the mission that had fallen into the water. And the Zetas surrounded them on boats. Uh, they tried to get away on their jet skis. David Hartley was hit in the back of the head uh, with an AK-47 round, uh, killing him instantly. He fell into the water. His his wife turned around, jumped into the water, uh, holding her husband while they surrounded her at gunpoint, trying to debate what they had just done and then what to do with her. 
Uh, at some point, they started to drift away, floating off, getting approvals from the Zeta bosses. She jumped on her uh, jet ski, went back into the U.S., and look, I briefed her that her husband was never coming home, George. That was in 2010. We're still dealing with the same problem, only this time it's multiple cartels completely out of control, where back then it was really the Los Zetas who had just become so hyper-violent. So I'm telling you this as somebody that has done this. I'm telling you this as someone that has, you know, looked a woman who lost her husband and told her he is never coming home. I'm not playing at this. I'm doing it seven days a week trying to warn the American people that this is the next national security threat of this country. And it is the largest U.S. intelligence failure since 9-11. And Americans, unfortunately, this many years later, are finally seeing that play out on national television. You know, the uh, again, going down to the migrant center here in San Antonio, the number of young men that are coming in, that are being processed supposedly there so that they can be resettled, the number of young military-age men, or for that matter, gang-age uh, men, it's incredible. It is incredible. Uh, are, are we just, uh, I mean, is this a Trojan horse that we are letting in? Well, I think from the cartel standpoint specifically, you know, look, there are, there's so many layers to this, right? And the immigration layer is a major, major issue right now. And, and the reason for that is because it's not a U.S.-Mexico issue anymore. It's a global issue. And you've got people from 160 different countries bringing all the good that comes with that in fairness, but also bringing all the bad that comes with that. And that is a game changer for the protection of citizens in this country when we don't know who they are or where they are or you know, what their background is. And that's just the truth of it when you're dealing with this number of gotaways getting into the country. I mean, in February alone, I just broke the story day before yesterday on Newsmax that there were 67,000 known gotaways just in the month of February, just at your southwest border alone, never mind your coastal or your northern borders. That's one month. It's actually 28 days. Wow. Incredible. So uh, here at the end, uh, we've only got about a, min about a minute to go. What do you think, I mean, if you've got a crystal ball, what do you think is going to happen? And what do you think needs to happen? Look, here's, here's what you're going to hear on the national stage here for a while, is that we, we need to send our military in there and we need to destroy the cartels. And I want to be very clear on this. I have been trying to get the cartels designated as foreign terrorist organizations since I retired in 2016. And that the way what that gives us is tools of national power so that outside the confines of our nation, we can go after them much more rapidly using every tool that we have in our toolbox and mandating the agencies do it by requirement, uh, even when they don't want to. What we don't want to do, though, is send our military into Mexico. That would cause nothing but problems. And we're not going to war with the cartels. These are dark networks. And we must use dark network theory in taking them down. The whole belief that we need to send military in there, or the U.S. military to go against these cartels, there's a piece of that, absolutely, absolutely. But what we need to do is work in collaboration with the Mexican government. The challenge we have right now is AMLO, the president of that country. Uh, the corruption is at the highest levels of the Mexican government, and he is not going to allow what we were doing previously under the Nieto administration and the Calderon administration. And that's really a path for success where you're sharing intelligence, working with the best of the best in the Mexican government to go to go after them, specifically the Mexican Marines, who have shown not only can they do it and they possess that capability, but that they are willing. Wow. And, you know, again, since the day that he was elected, uh, AMLO, uh, the president of Mexico has shown that he is very, very much a leftist, a socialist, anti-American. I mean, that's all there is to it. So getting his... And and he's been protecting these cartels. I mean, look, he, he destroyed the pipeline of collaboration from all the different U.S. federal law enforcement agencies to his agencies. He sidelined the Mexican Marines from doing 24-7 operations against the cartel leaders. And he's told all of them that their only real job is to keep the security of the country under control, not to target cartel leaders. Now, that's the facts. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's out there. It's well documented. And this is exactly why, now you overlay that with open borders and how strong these cartels have become in just the last two years alone. 
George, if anyone's heard me warn about this, it's you, because I have been on your show just about every week for the last two years. That's true. You have been telling us that. My friend, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us. Folks, we've been speaking with our good friend Jason Jones, a reporter from Newsmax and and, uh, former Texas Department of Public Safety uh, official. Uh, He is an expert on the crime at the border, my friends, and that's why he's been on Thank you very, very much, Jason. You have a good day. Great to be with you, George, as always. Thank you. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got our good friend, Mr. Ron Kovach, who is the, uh, he is the press secretary for FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform in Washington, D.C. I wanted to get him on because... The Associated Press and a few other folks are reporting a drop, can you believe it, a drop in illegal immigration, in illegal aliens crossing the border here in, uh, well, in, 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 uh, on the southwest border. However, to those of us, Ron, that live down here on the border, we certainly are not seeing a drop in, uh, in people, in the number of people coming across. Can you uh, talk to us about it? And welcome to the show, of course. Thanks for having me back, George. Appreciate you having me here. Yeah, I'll have to uh, steal a word from the commander-in-chief here and say that is just malarkey. Uh, It's ridiculous what they're doing. I mean, we've talked about it a couple times on the show already. Ultimately, what they did with this new CBP-1 app, with the new rules and restrictions that they're putting out, you know, there's a whole 150-page DHS rule, all this type of stuff. Ultimately, what they're doing is they're finding any way they can possible to make it so the apprehensions that Customs and Border Protection is doing at the border are going down. They're letting in more people who should supposed to be, be coming in legally. They're letting them in under legal parameters, whether it be parole, whether it be asylum, whatever label they can to make sure that they're not labeling this as illegal migrants getting caught at the border by Customs and Border Protection. It's an absolute ridiculous statement. And, you know, you look at these numbers still, and I can't tell you where exactly February ranked on the list, but I can say this off of January, and realistically, that's where that AP report was really focusing on, was in January, yeah, yeah, apprehensions might have gone down from December. But at the end of the day, that was when the rollout of the CBP-1 app was a big thing. And people who would be counted uh, coming in illegally uh, in December were not counted coming in illegally in January because of that app. And also because of this, we still look at it. Numbers might have went down again from December to January. But that was still the highest January we've ever had on record, George. And that's with these kind of new methods that they're doing. there's, There's no reason to say that the GOP, any Republicans, are backed against the wall with this. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, the numbers are still skyrocketing. Yeah. Uh, This situation of an app being available in Mexico, uh, explain that a little bit more to us. Yeah, so the app, I mean, the CBP-1 app, we've talked about it before. Basically what it is is that the people get to apply for asylum inside of this app. Once they come to the border, they're able to say, hey, look, here's my app. This is what I did. I, You know, I went through all the proper channels, and they're let in and get to wait for a hearing um, later down the line. So they're given a two-year work permit. They're able to stay in the United States until they have that hearing. And, I mean, we, you and I both know as long as you're in the country for a while and you're able to set up a life, they're going to allow you to stay. Yep, that's true. Now, um, you guys are about, FAIR is about to release uh, or has released a new cost study. Um, can you give us a little bit of, uh, about that? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, sir, definitely. So FAIR actually let out a release this week where we unveiled our new cost study. You might remember a similar thing from 2017. I know some of your loyal listeners probably do as well, where FAIR did a finding that ended up finding in 2017 that illegal immigration cost the American people $116 billion every single year. To give an update to this 2017 study, get a couple years under Biden under our belt, our new study that we had, and this dated back to the end of December 2022, that over that five-year interval, there was actually a 30% increase in the amount of money taxpayers are paying. Currently, the United States taxpayer is paying, or well, the United States taxpayer population as a whole is paying over $150 billion every single year to cover the cost of illegal immigration. And just to break that down a little bit, the data is showing that it was $182 billion is the real number that people are paying. Now, the, the 
based off different metrics and whatnot, the 15.5 million illegal aliens currently living in the United States, they pay about 31 billion in taxes. So we give them a little bit of a break there. Coming to the end total of 150.7 billion dollars annually that American taxpayers are footing the bill for because of illegal immigration into our country. Again, we need to remind ourselves that at least 5 million, probably more than that, 5 million people that have crossed in the past couple of years uh, have never paid anything into the system that they are going to be taking out of. I mean, you know, the old argument that there used to be or that has been is that uh, illegal aliens pay taxes every time they buy something or that their wages are, are garnered, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not the case with these people that have just crossed and are getting uh, all sorts of freebies, correct? Well, of course, of course. And I'll say we even take it into account, you know, because let, let, let's be real here. If an illegal alien is inside the United States for a year or so, they're going to the grocery store. They're going to be getting, you know, tires on the car, whatever it be. They're going to be paying some types of taxes on something. But the thing about our study is we even took those we even took those taxes into account where the original number that we had, $182 billion annually, that's what the costs are, whether we're talking about the free health care, whether we're talking about the college tuition, driver's licenses, whatever's uh, into all that, $182 billion annually. From that, what we take is that $31 billion is what this population of what we're estimating is 15.5 million illegal aliens living in the U.S. We're estimating they pay about $31 billion in taxes every single year. So, you know, even if we're giving them the benefit of the doubt that they are paying what they're paying, that's still an over $150 billion bill that the American taxpayers have to pay because of this. I mean, that's over $1,000 a person, George. That's incredible. That is, that is absolutely outrageous. And then there's, of course, the other aspects of it, uh, such as crime and, and other things that, that play into the, uh, I mean, my, uh, my, my favorite story is my niece that got uh, rear-ended by a, uh, an illegal alien here in San Antonio whose car was not registered, who uh, insur- did not have insurance, who did not have a driver's license, but yet my, my niece is now going to have to be saddled up with a higher insurance payment. And that's, it's just plain ridiculous. It's just plain ridiculous. You know, you talk about the cost breakdowns here. Number one, let's talk about that criminal justice area. What we're on analysts finds is that it's $47 billion annually that uh, American taxpayers are paying combined federal, state, and local taxes, or federal, state, and local dollars just for criminal justice costs associated with illegal immigration. So, you know, if she ended up going to court, she had to hire a lawyer. Anything that was associated with that, that's included in that $47 billion. Because we wanted to be conservative because obviously, you know, when you come out with a study like this, people are going to try to attack you about it. We're having a very conservative estimate there. That number doesn't count the amount of money extra that she's going to have to pay on her insurance. That doesn't count the amount of money extra that she's going to have to pay on top of the, the court case to fix her car and make sure everything's back to normal. This $47 billion is just the legal charges, so you can only imagine how much that actually is. And another number is K-12 to education. I mean, you know it darn well down there in San Antonio. If you don't have a teacher who's able to teach English and Spanish, how are you going to get control of that classroom? That's exactly you know, And that cost is $78 billion every single year we have to pay just to keep our K-12 classrooms open because we need all these new resources. I mean, you look at the numbers, over 160 different countries crossing our border in the past two years alone, and and we're going to put them all inside the same classroom as American students. You're going to need a lot of resources to make sure everyone's on task and everyone's learning what they're supposed to. Yeah, it's outrageous. Now, uh, let me switch gears on you a little bit and, and ask you, what is the discussion regarding public safety and what is going on at the border right now with the uh, kidnappings on the Mexican side, with uh, with uh, shootings and and uh, I, I, what is there any kind of discussion regarding uh, this in, in D.C. about uh, our public safety? You know, the same discussion that we're hearing in, San, in D.C. is the same discussion that people are seeing on their TV. I mean, it's... You know, the news is covering it, but as far as talking about it on Capitol Hill, there, there's little to no there's little to no discussion at all. I mean, you'll see the people come on TV, the different who's who's of Congress talking about, oh, it's a terrible atrocity. Be careful going to Mexico, but. There's no legislation being discussed. No one's having a hearing talking about it. Sure, people might try to put in a, a soundbite every now and then inside of a committee hearing. But aside from that, there hasn't been anything plausible that's come from it. Ultimately, what it is at the end of the day is what, what we have to look at as a situation is, and obviously you and your listeners are no stranger to this, the border is a dangerous place. 
Um, it, it's not be, because of the open border policies that the Biden administration has. It makes it so drugs are coming across easier. Human trafficking is happening easier in circumstances like this. It's, it's just more and more likely because people understand how easy it is to. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to accuse anyone here, but it, it's easy to get into business. It's easy to get intertwined with that kind of stuff when there's no restrictions on it. Yeah, it, it really it truly is. I mean. Uh, if if they're going to investigate TikTok, they ought to investigate what is going on with the cartels uh, yeah. in our backyards. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It, it's, it's just plain ridiculous the way that the border is just wide open and people are just able to, you know, have commerce across whatever the product is across the border that easily. Yep. My friend, thank you very much for being with us today. Uh, tell the folks how, where and how they can uh, support FAIR. Of course, of course, appreciate it. Yeah, if, if you guys liked hearing what we you heard today, if you guys want more of the studies like we had about this cost study, feel free to go to our website, fairus.org. That's F-A-I-R-U-S.org. As I like to talk about, we got that red donate button in the top corner. If you donate five, ten dollars $10, we certainly appreciate it. And if you donate $20, we have a build the wall mug. What this is, George, it's a black mug. <laughs> what you do, you fill it up with coffee, and the entire thing turns into the wall. You know, you, you put the coffee in, get to build the wall, make it tall. It's a beautiful beautiful thing. I would encourage everyone to go over to their fairus.org and they'd be able to check it out. Excellent. Thank you very, very much. We've been speaking with our good friend, Mr. Ron Kovach, who is the uh, press secretary for FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform in Washington, D.C. And they are the premier organization, my friends, that uh, is for border control and border security and watches over us. Thank you very much, Ron. Have a good one. Of course. You too, George. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got our good friend, Mr. Wade Miller, with the uh, Center for Renewing America, uh, out of D.C., I wanted to get him on to talk to us and give us an update of what they're doing because uh, we now have a, a conservative house. Um, however, we still have a very open border, and now uh, we've been even seeing that uh, people are coming in through Canada as well. Wade, thank you for taking time to be with us. Welcome to the show. Um, give us an update. Tell us what uh, you guys are up to and what can we look forward to? Sure. So for, uh, thanks for having me on again. Uh, first and foremost, we're still like knee deep in a, in a budget fight. We're trying to set up a fight on federal spending that focuses and prioritizes with kind of a new framing of, of, of a spending fight that hasn't really happened in, in D.C. before, which is the central theme of stopping woke and weaponized government. And for a lot of Republicans, this is foreign in terms of how do you think about like spreadsheets and budgets and appropriations bills these have been cultural fights that have existed you know in state legislatures and on single issue bills but how do we think in terms of how do we fight federal spending everywhere with this framing and and one of the important things for people to understand is and a lot of your listen listeners of course do but uh, wokeness isn't just like one line item. It's not one program. It's not one thing that's said on a uh, agency website. It's kind of the general relativity, the unifying theory of the less ideology. It, it, it's, it animates everything that they do. And so we have really wanted to reorient the fight in DC away from kind of the traditional method of fighting spending, which is to look at it as a spreadsheet problem and say, you know, 32.4 trillion and just a, a sea of numbers, which don't really, which it doesn't really mean anything to a lot of, of Americans. And then reframe it as, you know, regardless of how much we are or aren't spending, we're funding the tyranny that is occurring against the American people. It's targeting Americans, it's, it's targeting our liberty, and it's using all of its power to push its woke agenda on Americans. It's, it's pushing for old school systemic racism and discrimination against Americans. And that's just, that's, that's no longer acceptable. And by the way, we, our budget can also balance in 10 years. If we, if we prioritize the, the messaging on woke and weaponize and cut, uh, you know, some mandatory spending elsewhere with, and you don't even have to touch social security or Medicare benefits, we can balance the budget in 10 years and destroy 
the, uh, the you know, the kind of the woke and weaponized bureaucracy, the deep state, as as other people know it. And that's that's really the central to what we have to do here. <clears throat> you know, we can we can reform Social Security and Medicare. We can fix the budget. We can balance in 10 years and still lose our country. And so this isn't we, we have to get D.C. to stop thinking in ter- of budgets in terms of spreadsheets and thinking about how do we actually inflict trauma on these agencies that are trying to destroy America. And that's that's the, the framing we're looking at. I think President Trump at his CPAC speech said the era of woke and weaponized government is is over. And, and you know, that's the messaging we're trying to push. DeSantis has pushed similar messaging recently. This is where we're trying to go. And then through the, the leverage of, of this fight, you know, there's things like HR 29, which are on the table, which is border related and would essentially solve a lot of the asylum abuses, which is the main driver of illegal immigration in the United States. If you know, More would need to be done. But if you get H.R. 29 passed, that's the single biggest step towards border sanity that we would have had in decades. And, and right now we're trying to use all of our leverage points to get that moving forward at the, at the federal level. Now, you know, we keep hearing uh, that more money will fix everything. I mean, it seems to be that's the mantra that uh, the woke left continues to push. Uh, There's been a discussion here in Texas about um, the, uh, the use of, uh, of vouchers for, uh, for choosing your school rather than than having to, to go to a public school. And um, we continue to hear how uh, instead of using vouchers, uh, we should just give the, the uh, education system just more money um heaven knows to do what with more money but uh, it just doesn't seem like they move away from that whole idea that just more money is going to fix everything right and and I'll, 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 like ironically this is one of the arguments the left is using with the border and so they're trying to pivot and look like they're meeting us in the middle by saying well let's just hire more agents or increase agent pay or, or things like that you know, Tony Gonzalez has sponsored 18 border bills. and But the problem is none of them will actually secure the border. And the left is using the same argument. They're putting forward all these border bills. And then the same thing's happening in the Department of Education. They just want to throw money at the problem. But it's not a, a, a funding per student problem. I mean, we could, if you get rid of all the bureaucracy and actually just let teachers teach, you can do more with less. Now, <clears throat> you know, the best of both worlds is, you know, funding our, our education at the levels it needs to be funded at, but also getting out everything out of the way. And that's where the, the sweet spot is. And that's where our, what we aim to do. And that's what the state of Texas should be aiming to do. And school choice is good policy. But we have to remember that by itself, that doesn't stop, you know, the wokeness that's being pushed through curriculum, et cetera. School choice is a tool, but by itself won't solve the problem. And we need more than just school choice. School choice is a starting point you know, uh, uh, not an ending point. We keep hearing from, uh, you know, exact, uh, the mayor of New York, for example, that all of the, uh, all of the cost, I believe it's 5 million a, a day, uh, for the illegal aliens that they, that, uh, are in his, uh, his city that, uh, again, he never says anything about closing the border. He just says he wants more money. Again, we see that whole, uh, that whole mentality. Right. And, and again, like, look, I'm not saying that, that, that children who are affected by this, you know, aren't important. But I am saying that the policies all together, when you couple them all together, things like that are actually encouraging more of that to occur. And, 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 and the more encouragement we have, the more leverage cartels have, the more billions of dollars the cartels have, the more people that cartels will rape, murder, sex traffic kidnap, extort, put into de facto slavery. And so Eric Adams can sit there and virtue signal and talk about how he's taking care of all these children and just wants more money for it. But that's part of the problem. Like that is actually fueling a whole host and multitude and, and perhaps an avalanche of human rights abuses all over the border and south of our border. <laughs> We're even seeing now people coming in from Canada. We've had uh, a couple of Border Patrol agents on our show who are on the Canadian border talking about um, the uh, number of, uh, of uh, illegal aliens that are now coming in, flying to uh, Canada and coming in from that direction. 
Um, which also, I mean, the other aspect of it is that uh, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau is saying that uh, that they cannot take illegal immigrants; that uh, they are um, they need to uh, they need to come in through a controlled process. So, I mean, the minute that an uncontrolled situation hits them, everybody changes their their song, but they just don't admit that. Right, and you know, one one hundredth, uh, you know, being exposed to one one hundredth of what. Texas border communities are experiencing every single day of the year sends liberal Democrats running for the hills uh, uh, crying about how they have no ability to sustain this is everyday life for Texans and and a lot of Americans especially liberal Americans don't get that and they don't understand it you know uh, if if authoritarianism is going to be used for anything I, I pray that it's to send them to have to live on the border for a year so that they can experience what we have to experience on a constant basis living in, in states like Texas and Arizona, et cetera. It's not compassionate in the least to continue to support the, the policy, the border policies that they, and, and, and the comfort of their, you know, New England uh, gated neighborhoods uh, uh, try to uh, browbeat us and, 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 and tell us that this is the, that what you have to accept or else you're a fascist and a Nazi. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Wade, thank you very much for being with us today. Anything else that you'd like to add before we let you go, buddy? Uh, just if you can, call your members of Congress and you know demand that they finally use the leverage that they have right now to take a huge meat cleaver to the woke and weaponized government before them. There's no reason we can't get this done with if the Republican Party in the House stays unified and we have we've got a strategy laid out for how to get this done through the Senate and through Biden. We just need the Republican Party to stay unified. And if so, as President Trump said, this could be, you know, the first step to the end of, of the woke and weaponized era. And, and, and that's going to take all of us to stand together and, and understand the problem ahead of us and to not be afraid to fight it. You got it. Thank you very, very much. Folks, we've been listening to our good friend, Mr. Wade Miller, with uh, who is the executive director for Uh, the Center for Renewing America. Thank you very much, Wade. Stay safe. Thanks for having me on. Bye. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got our good friend, former state representative, Kyle Biederman. uh, He used to represent the uh, Texas uh, 73rd District, which is just north of us here in San Antonio. And uh, I wanted to get him on because uh, the Texas uh, the Texas legislature is on right now. And uh, I want to get uh, his perception, what he thinks about what is going on, what are the priorities. Um, Kyle, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us. Um, oh, you're welcome, George. I mean, like I said, it's been, a, it's been too long, and, and I know that you've been just you know, moving and moving and moving. And I'm really, really glad to see and proud of what you've been uh, doing and getting a bigger voice. So congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, Let's, uh, let me ask you, let's start with this question. Um, The state legislature is on uh, full blast right now. Um, What, uh, what are the priorities? Because I know that we uh, talk a lot here on our show about the border and uh, the police and a few other things, but uh, what uh, what do you think is is, uh, is going to be the focus of this legislature? Well, that's a great that's a that's a good question, and uh, there actually is a lot of a lot of uh, things that are showing what this session is is gearing up to be. Uh, we start off with, uh, of course, the Senate and uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick's twenty uh, priorities. And his priorities are good. In fact, he's actually starting, the Senate is already starting to vote on some really good conservative priorities and things that are very important to Texas. So that's the Senate. Then we've got Governor Abbott putting out his five priorities, and they're pretty good. I mean, they're pretty, they're weak, and they don't include nearly what uh, Patrick has for the, the really top stuff, especially with the border. Um, uh, but, you know, they were okay. And again, we all know that Governor Abbott wants to run for president. And so he's got this session is going to be his platform for running for president. And so he has got to give uh, the Republicans 
and the conservatives for sure uh, what they want or he's not going to have anything to run on. Um, but then we get the House. And this is what's so you know, exciting but also so frustrating about the legislature is you've got the big three, Lieutenant Governor, the Governor, um, and the House, and the Speaker. And the Speaker is the one that is much more um, moderate, if, uh, even, even if that's a good word, than the other two. And it shows in his priorities. I don't know if you saw his priorities. But his priorities are, um, you know, to extend Medicaid for mothers, you know, that after they have babies, um, some social media restrictions, which are okay, but very weak. And then tax-free tampons and diapers. So that is the priorities for the House. So it pretty much shows you that the House is there to stop or slow down um, good conservative legislation as usual, especially with a speaker like Thielen and then putting in uh, eight Democrats as chairman um, of committees. So let, let uh, that's ask, where we are right now. Yeah, let me ask you that because you served in the House. What, why, I mean, for the life of me, why would a Republican uh, chairman or, or, or speaker, should I say, want to appoint Democrats as chairs of committees particularly uh, if uh, they're going to be able to either kill or slow down uh, legislation that Republicans would want. I don't understand that. Well, it's very, actually, very simple, George. It's all about power. It's all about power and money. And so by um, getting the Democrats, the minority party, on your side, uh, look at the vote for Speaker. He got 146 votes and three against because he's going to please the Democrats, he's going to please their donors, he's going to please the special interest groups that are for, you know, uh, Democrat priorities. And so that gives him power. Then, of course, on the Republican side, this is the real problem. The Republicans could do everything without Democrats, but they don't want to. The Speaker doesn't want to because of power. He gets more power, more money. And, you know, when you have that kind of power, you could stay Speaker for 10 years like Joe Strauss did, like Bonin would have done, would have easily done 10 years, and Phelan probably will too unless he messes up somehow uh, or people wake up. But it's all about power. That's incredible. That That is really amazing. The the, uh, yep. the situation with, um, uh, with, with Governor Abbott running for president, uh, since he is going to, since that is on his radar, do you think that um, this will help uh, push conservative legislation a little bit more? Well, I, in a way, will. Okay, let's take a look at another governor that became very, very popular. Uh, um, the guy from Virginia. Um, was it Grant? Um, <laughs> who's the governor of Virginia that won? Um, and he's thinking even about running for president. How can, how oh, yeah. can we can't think of that guy's name? Gronkin or um, uh, whatever his name is. So remember, his whole his big platform was parents getting more involved in schools. Okay, having their voices heard. So Governor Abbott is looking at that, going, "Okay, that's how I'm going to, you know, set myself apart because I'm really not doing anything at the border. I'm trying to do some show stuff at the border, but I'm not really. The border's still a mess um, and very dangerous." So he's going for education. He's going for education. He's going for school choice. So that's one thing that I think Abbott is going to try to hang his hat on. I got school choice in Texas. I care about parents. I care about, you know, a better education, which you really can't say that uh, if you're um, against school choice. But school choice gives a better education and competition to the public schools. Um, so I believe in that area. Um, Abbott is going to try to show his, uh, that he's worthy of being um, a national figure uh, when it comes to education. Uh, but, you know, other than that, you know, his priorities are pretty weak. And on the border, it's all about just spending money. I mean, that's what we're, that, we're going to spend, you know, you know, four to five, you know, billion dollars uh, on, on uh, the border again. 
um, only try, only there um, to not be able to to enforce law, but to try to catch some people. And we've done some good things, but then they're going to say, "Okay, we've done border security," and um, I, don't, I don't think the American people are going to buy that. True, true. The um, yeah, Governor Youngkin. Youngkin, uh, there it is. Yeah, Youngkin, and he. Um, uh, the the governor's, uh, you know, he has been praised and criticized by Texans uh, regarding his uh, performance on the border. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I mean, uh, the only the best thing that I can say is at least he's doing something. Where, whereas our federal government is not doing anything about it. <laughs> yeah, but I I agree. But you know, something um, that's not effective is not a good thing. <laughs> well, that's true. Too. And. <laughs> We could be effective if we just take control of our state and take and 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 see the Constitution saying we're this is an invasion. There is no doubt about it. And the the problem's been um, the Congress or the House of Representatives has been in Democratic hands for four years, two years of Trump and uh, two years now with Biden. And so you couldn't get the information. This new uh, this is why I'm more excited about D.C. than I am about Texas for one of the first times in in my lifetime. Um, They're actually having hearings and showing what's going at the border. Did you see last week? I know you did. They did hearings at the border, and not a single Democrat showed up. That's right. From the committee. (laughs) That's right. From the committee. You know, it's just becoming more and more clear, and I don't know how much clearer it could be, but it's got to be clear nationally, and it's got to be clear where you start getting the Democrat states where they start getting upset like New York is and others because of uh, illegal immigration and the illegals coming and um, they having to take care of them like Texas has been doing for years. So, um, that's so uh, true. you know, money is not the, money is not really the uh, solution at the border. Money with action that we can start enforcing our existing laws, that's what needs to be done. And Abbott is afraid to do that. Gotcha. Let, let me ask you this last question because it's, we're speaking about money. S- Texas has a huge surplus. What do you think should be done with that surplus? <clears throat> well, you know, it's uh, obviously property taxes are a problem. and uh, But if we don't control spending, you know, it doesn't really matter what we do with our money because it just... We're going to just keep spending, spending, spending. So sure. say we gave a huge property tax cut, um, a reduction to the people of Texas. Well, if we don't control spending, then it's not, what's going to happen next year and the year after? We have to have a, a uh, uh, we, we need to have the legislature um, put a rule in where uh, we have uh, growth in Texas, population inflation, we take that, and that's how much extra we spend each year on the budget. And the remainder goes to either property taxes or long-term uh, issues like pensions and other things and the border, but not just to send our people down there to, um, uh, you know... Be seen. <laughs> uh, not be able, yeah, to be seen, but to actually, hey, build a wall, do yeah. whatever we need to do. So uh, it really comes down to we have a huge surplus and it can't be just spent on short-term things. It needs to be long-term, but we've got to slow um, our spending. So, heck, if, if Texas is growing, great. Population inflation growth, let's add that to the budget each year. But the rest of it needs to go to uh, longer-term projects or what they're actually saying right now is reduce the sales tax on everybody. Because uh-huh. that's where most of the money comes in. So if we reduce the amount of sales tax... Um, then Texas will not bring in as much, but we're still going to bring in um, a uh, surplus. But again, the problem is if we don't control spending, then you know, everything's forgotten. Music to my ears, controlled spending. Yes. <laughs> and that's what's happening in D.C. right now. Look, they got the debt ceiling. And yet, of course, you know, President Biden does not want to do anything about spending cuts. He just wants to raise a debt ceiling and keep spending like a drunk yeah, sailor. Exactly. That's exactly. But that's what almost every what almost every state does. Texas really needs to take the lead. And uh, and I, you know the only solution at the border is for Congress to act, which they will not, um, is for us to um, you know 
uh, claim the invasion and then claim the, you know, the, uh, uh, the constitutional right for us to be able to enforce the laws of the border. Or, as I've said for the last number of years, Texas needs to let the people vote on saying, okay, we're out of here. But we're going to start a process and get some leverage for the federal government to have to acknowledge the fact that, hey, without Texas, this, this country's in trouble. Amen. So we don't leave. We don't leave. We just start the process of looking at all the information going, hey, man, if this thing keeps getting going the way it is, Texas needs to take care of itself. Exactly. So I hope that that, I hope that, that Texas bill comes down. It's not to leave. It's not to secede. It's not even in, that's not even in the bill. It's to give the people the right to vote so our legislators realize how important this is to the people of Texas. And then we start the discussion and debate, which is something that rarely happens in any government, whether it's the federal or the state legislature. A there's little, there's little, little debate uh, discussion. It's all the leadership runs the show. You got it. Kyle, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us. We love it. Uh, I got to get you back on the show again as the, as the legislature continues so you can keep us updated on what's going on. Uh, I appreciate well, thank it you, George. Hey, anytime, and uh, you just keep up the great work you're doing, and God bless you. Thank you very much. Folks, we've been speaking with our good friend, Mr. Kyle Biederman, from, uh, our, the former uh, state, Congre- state uh, representative from uh, District 73. Kyle, be good. Thank you, too, George. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Folks, once again, thank you for joining our program today, for hearing us, uh, supporting us. I really, really want to thank uh, our uh, sponsor, number one sponsor for our program, Federation for American Immigration Reform Fair in Washington, D.C. They uh, support us 100%. If you are interested in uh, supporting our program in advertising on our program as well as on our blog and uh, at speaking engagements. Please let us know. Let me know. Contact me through um, personal messaging, private messaging on uh, Facebook or through email or through our our uh, uh, station here at KLUP. Uh, we need your support. We need so uh, your support so that our voice can be heard, my friends. People need to hear the truth and the facts. So welcome. So thank you for, for supporting us, my friends. Thank you for listening in. Join us next week because we'll have another great program for you, my friends. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com